All right, let me set the scene. The location, a bank in the middle of a major metropolis. And right now, there's a bank robbery going down. The robbers run out to find their getaway car missing. Where's the car? Greg, where are you? I'll be there in a quibby. A what? A quibby. Less than 10 minutes. <laughs> Quick bites, big stories. Quibi. Be there in a quibi, he said. Less than 10 minutes. And of course, the tagline at the end, quick bites, big stories, that's quibi. And that was a Super Bowl ad. Actually, one that aired during Super Bowl 54 for Quibi, a short-form mobile-only video platform that was really sort of like Netflix, but with very short episodes and only available on your smartphone. And in this ad, they joked about the phrase, in a quibby, meaning 10 minutes or less because the company was only around for about 10 minutes. <laughs> that was kind of harsh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. It was. No, they said that because the actual content each episode was at most just 10 minutes long on Quibi, as opposed to the typical 20 to 45 minute episodes we see most TV series have on platforms like Netflix, Disney Plus, Prime Video, and, you know, platforms like that. But Quibi did fail. And it was around for longer than 10 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, not that much longer, but yes. Uh, we're we're going to get into all of the details about Quibi in this bonus episode of Rocketship.fm, kind of rehashing our product failure series from a couple years back, this time focusing on the product failure of Quibi. So let's get started. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play. Rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P 
P-O-R-K-B-U-N.com forward slash RocketShipFM24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is and save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. In early 2020, we aired an entire season covering product failures. We talked about products like Google+, Blockbuster. We even shared some of our own failures. But right at the time that season was airing, another tech company was in the midst of launching, Quibi. And it wasn't just some small-seeded startup either. It had a big vision with big financial backers and A-list executives. Yeah, and that's probably an understatement. As far as funding goes, well, it raised $1.75 billion dollars before ever even launching from Hollywood film studios, TV companies, telecom companies, technology companies, banks. It was led by Meg Whitman, the former eBay CEO and California gubernatorial candidate founded by Jeffrey Katzenberg, one of Hollywood's biggest film producers. He was the former chairman of Walt Disney Studios, the co-founder of DreamWorks. I mean, by all accounts, it was really set up to succeed really well. But well, we're featuring it in this bonus episode of Product Failures for a reason. So it didn't succeed. But first, let's go way back. We should probably go into what Quibi actually is. Yeah, and actually, let's let Jeffrey Katzenberg tell you himself. Here he is in a conversation with Fox 4 News Kansas City's Sean Edwards back in April 2020. Well, it's a new subscription service with very, very uh, premium content made by the best storytellers, creators, and filmmakers in Hollywood to be watched on your phone using a brand new technology that actually makes it beautiful to watch on your phone. And uh, so new types of stories, movies that are in chapters, everything is under 10 minutes. Um, and we have a, a very rich and diverse offering of content. Um, in the first two weeks, there's over 50 shows and uh, over 500 episodes. So a lot, a lot there for people. Okay, so you heard it from Jeffrey Katzenberg directly. Short form content, every episode under 10 minutes long, but really good content. We're not talking about user generated TikTok videos. It's highly produced, really good episodic content. And it's designed to be watched on your mobile device with technology that makes you actually enjoy watching content like this on a mobile device. At least that was the concept. And when we say really good content, well, there was something for everybody. For instance, there was Chrissy's Court. The people are real. The cases are real. And the judgments are legally binding. I'm fully naked under here. <laughs> I think that's the hardest part about being a judge. It's so hot. This is Chrissy's Court. Yes, that was Chrissy Teigen in Chrissy's Court. You know, sort of like Judge Judy, only it's Chrissy Teigen. But she's not a real 
judge, right? Michael, that doesn't <laughs> matter anymore. Small details. It's Chrissy Teigen. She can do whatever she wants. Okay, well then. <laughs> there are also some thriller series like Survive. I'm going to cut to a clip from IMDb to explain this one. In this feature film broken into chapters, Game of Thrones' own Sophie Turner stars as Jane, a young woman headed home after a stint in a treatment center. Unbeknownst to the other passengers, Jane plans to take her own life mid-flight. But in a dark twist, the plane crashes and Jane must fight for her life alongside the only other survivor, Paul, played by straight out of Compton's Corey Hawkins. Just go. No one's coming to get us. I'm fine with that. No, no. We're here together. Oh. That one actually sounds intriguing. Yeah, and hey, I took advantage of the free, you know, trial when Quibi first came out and I enjoyed a few different series. I mean, aside from the ones that you've heard, there's series produced featuring Reese Witherspoon, LeBron James, a rehash of the show Punked. I mean, there was some decent stuff. Any favorites? You sound like a fan. Well, I remember watching a series called The Stranger. It was a story about a rideshare driver that gets a mysterious passenger who later becomes her worst nightmare. All right, then. Well, it sounds like there was at least some interesting content on Quibi, so maybe that's not the reason they failed. Well... Uh, we'll get into that for sure. I mean, Quibi made a huge bet on the fact that the content it produced, it had to be all original content and had to be highly produced good content. Not talking about some reruns of some popular show from a couple decades ago. Hey, nothing wrong with watching old episodes of The Office or Friends, if that's your thing. No, very true. And hey, let's be honest, that would cost them loads of money too. But (laughs) even still, with Quibi, it was all original content and that content was expensive. Expensive to the tune of over $1.1 billion. I mean, that's where the vast majority of all that funding actually went to pay for this great content. And that's a lot of money and a gigantic bet that could all work out. But it wasn't meant to be Quibi's only secret sauce. Right, right. You mentioned this unique technology before, right? Right. The technology was called Turnstile, and, well, they really made a big deal about it. Rather than explain it myself, I'm going to let Ashley Escada, senior video producer at CNET, explain it here in the CNET segment. The app is designed to be able to watch content not only in portrait mode, but also in landscape mode while you're watching it. So let's say you're watching something full screen portrait mode. It's cropped beautifully. It looks perfect. And then you rotate your device and now it's perfectly in landscape mode. No changes, super seamless. This is the experience Quibi is promising. That's Turnstile. Now, Turnstile is not just the idea of, let's just put two iPhones or two cameras like this in a cross and film our stuff. No, it's different than that because Turnstile allows creators to change your point of view based on your orientation on your device. One of the examples they showed off was a show where if you're watching in landscape mode, it looks just like any other drama. You're watching a woman creep through a house. But if you change to portrait mode, you get an entirely different POV. This is one of what her cell phone is seeing as she's walking through the house. So that is a super interesting technology that I find terribly fascinating and I'm dying to see how creators implement it into their different types of shows whether it's reality TV or dramas or comedies or these movies that are going to be released in chapters. So again, it's more than just flipping your phone and being able to watch the video in portrait or landscape. It's actually designed to be watched in either of those modes. And sometimes you get an entirely different experience. 
Ashley was talking about one show where if you're watching in landscape, you could see the person texting. You know, it just looks like you're watching the show. But if you flip it to portrait, you can actually see what the person's <laughs> texting. It's like you're holding her phone in your hand as she's typing the message. It it was kind of cool stuff, actually. Yeah, yeah. But what it all meant was that you could only watch the content on your mobile device because the experience was specifically designed that way. Quibi took the approach and they made a big bet that people wouldn't mind only watching this content on their iOS or Android device. Because if you wanted to watch it on your big screen TV, well, you actually couldn't. Okay, so we've broken down what Quibi is and how it made its big bet on content and technology. There was also something else really big about Quibi. All right, what's that? The people. I mean, I mentioned before, it was founded by Jeffrey Katzenberg, one of the most important people in Hollywood, led by Meg Whitman as the CEO, one of the biggest superstar tech CEOs of the past couple decades. I mean, she was the CEO at HP and eBay. I mean, these are multi-billion dollar companies. She even ran for governor of California. I mean, she's big time. Yeah, Meg Whitman certainly is a brand name CEO, not somebody that would accept just any new startup CEO role. Here's Meg Whitman joining Squawk Alley on CNBC in April of 2019, a year before the launch, talking about what metrics she and the team at Quibi will be focused on. So really, the key metric for us at the end of the day is paid net subscribers. How many people try, how many people um, actually subscribe, and then how many many people stay. It's a, a classic subscription business. And so I think we'll know at the end of the first quarter, are we on track for our base case or our goal case? You know, what are people saying about the service? By the way, it's so wonderful because for the first time in 20 years, and you will appreciate this, I do not have a legacy platform. I get to build the technology platform from scratch so we can instrument it and, and um, develop it in a way that we would never have been able to do. And so the technology innovation and making video look great on your phone is very much part of what we're doing. But in the end, paid net subscribers. So paid net subscribers, that's the metric. Quibi, after all, wasn't free, like Netflix, Disney+, Plus, so many others. It was a paid platform. It would be $4.99 a month for ad-supported content and $7.99 a month for ad-free content. And in that same segment, she also talks about why the time is now for Quibi, at least back then. Why people, they would be ready to pay those prices for Quibi. And what we know is people are increasingly watching video on their mobile 60 minutes a day, up from just six minutes in 2012. And that's because there's better bandwidth and more content. And we're going to go after a white space, which is very high quality content in this short form, bringing together the best of Hollywood and the best of Silicon Valley. And it's an on-the-go use case. You know, every morning you leave your house with a little television in your pocket and you have all these in-between moments, like when you were waiting for me to show up. Interesting take. The other platforms, they go for early morning or early evening viewing times. But Quibi, it's going for times when you're out of the house and maybe you have a few minutes in between, like you're waiting for your Uber or you're waiting in line at the cafe. There's just one big problem about that whole leaving your house thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When Quibi did finally launch, it was April of 2020. April 2020. Oh, yeah. April 2020. <laughs> the coronavirus now has one in four Americans living in lockdown. Every American has a role to play in defending our nation from this invisible, horrible enemy. So we say stay at home and save lives. Yes, Quibi's launch came at a time where basically the entire world was locked down from the COVID-19 pandemic. More on Quibi's mid-pandemic launch after this break. 
When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Before the break, we learned about Quippy, the short-form, mobile-only content video platform launched by Jeffrey Katzenberg, Meg Whitman, and an A-list team with 1.75 billion in backing. It was all ready to launch with its highly produced, albeit very expensive content. It's made for mobile technology. But then the COVID-19 pandemic happened, and at a time where Quibi was expecting people to be watching content on the go, well, no one was on the go anymore. They were locked down in their homes. The good news is they had nothing to do but watch things on screens, but given that they could only watch it on their smaller mobile screens, would it make a difference? And how should Quibi handle its launch? Remember, entire workforces were trying to figure out how to go remote if they weren't already remote. And when you're trying to launch something as monumental as what Quibi was launching, that could be hard if you weren't already working remote in the first place. All of this was a big challenge that Quibi was facing. Let's go back to Meg Whitman in this segment on Yahoo Finance that aired in April 2020, right after Quibi's eventual launch. About three weeks out when we all realized we were going to have to work from home, Jeffrey Katzenberg and I sat down and said, first of all, can we launch? You know, the technology was ready to go all in the Google Cloud. I mean, this is so different, right, than eBay. We, there's no, there's no um, data center. There's no network operations center. This is all in the cloud. So we knew we could, and our engineers could launch it from their homes. And then we had to say, do we have enough content? What's the content pipeline look like? Because much of Hollywood has been shut down. Well, we have enough content to get us through November. So we said, okay, we can launch. And then we said, should we launch? And we ultimately decided for the reason I described that we should. So we went ahead. That reason she described earlier in the segment was, look, Quibi, they're not a team of medical professionals or first responders. Groups like that were of most importance during that time of the pandemic, but they could provide a little bit of levity here if they did launch Quibi, and that's something the world needed at that time, don't you think? Well, that's very true, and so it did launch in April 2020, but by September of 2020, there were already articles with headlines like this one from The Verge, is Quibi done for? And then in early September from No Techie, apparently Quibi, just like its content, is a flash in the pan, and by late September... There was this one from the New York Times, Quibi is exploring a sale. And they weren't exploring the kind of sale where they and their investors would be making a big payday. This was an SOS kind of sale that they were praying for. And this is just five months after launch. And it turned out that those important metrics that Meg Whitman referenced, net paid subscribers, those numbers weren't materializing. The free trial customers... They weren't converting to paid users. And, you know, I can relate. I was one of those free trial customers. I played around on Quibi, but when my trial ended, I moved on and just stuck to Netflix and HBO Max, tried out new platforms like Peacock, which launched right after Quibi. And then in October of 2020, Quibi shut down. Here's a CNBC segment from October 2020 where Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman talk about its rise and collapse. So we, um, over the summer, we had a very successful launch and over the summer, we started to see a slowdown in our momentum. 
And we tried many different things, many different product and packaging models. We changed our marketing. We um, changed the, the app around many different times. But it was clear that uh, for whatever reason, this was not going to be as successful as Jeffrey and I had hoped. And so we took stock of where we were and we said the best thing to do, the honorable thing to do is to return money to shareholders um, when we knew this was not going to have a path forward as a viable standalone business. So we feel like we made the right decision, a very difficult decision, but the right one for shareholders. You know, in the end, I think all you can do, uh, all we can do is own it. You know, we are so appreciative of the opportunity to go pursue this really, really big idea. Uh, for sure, you know, there was risk involved in it, but I think all of us expected uh, a much better outcome, a much bigger outcome from this. And, you know, to our investors, to our studio partners, you know, we are grateful, thankful for them uh, giving this opportunity and letting us do it. And in the end, I think what, you know, as Meg said, uh, at this point, when we have seen that it does not have a, a, a future for it, um, the best thing we can do is return as much money to uh, to them as we can and uh, take care of our employees in the best way possible. Just as soon as it got started, it ended. In a quibby, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, when they saw that things were going south so quickly, rather than try to pour more money onto their problems, they decided to call it and return the about $350 million that they still had left back to investors. They saw that as the most prudent thing to do. Here's Katzenberg again on why they feel they got to this place. Listen, I think it's a convergence of a, of, of a number of things, Julia. So yes, we had a new, uh, a new product. Um, we asked people to pay for it before they actually understood what it was. Um, uh, I, I think we thought there would be easier uh, ad adoption by people uh, to it. Um, I think that the environment that we found ourselves in, as you've heard us say many times, this was designed for on the go, in between, at a moment in time in which no one was on the go, they're still not on the go, and um, so our product market fit was wrong. I mean, somewhere between the idea being less than perfect, which we, we own and the environment we found ourselves in uh, is where the fail has come. How much is, you know, what what each of those are in that equation, I'm not sure any of us are ever going to know, but it, it, it didn't work. It just didn't work. And as Katzenberg points out, there were maybe some strategic failures. But there's also a lot of environmental failures. Basically, it was all really bad timing. They planned for Quibi to be the platform of choice when you were on the go, but in spring 2020, nobody was on the go anymore. They were all consuming content, lots of it, but they were doing it at home on bigger screens. In that same time when Quibi launched, other platforms like Netflix, Disney+, Plus, they were growing rapidly. Netflix's stock increased by 40% in that time period alone. It was a great time to be a streaming content company, just not one focused on mobile devices. The Verge ran a piece on the downfall of Quibi called the quickest bite inside the final days of Quibi, the $2 billion streaming platform that didn't even last six months. And YouTube show Internet Today quoted some employees who spoke out to The Verge, sharing their behind-the-scenes take on the fall of Quibi. Here's the Internet Today segment on YouTube. One of the employees that they spoke to using the name Andrea said that, quote, the first meeting we had with Quibi, seeing the product, seeing the shows, I just remember thinking, this isn't going to work. It just seemed like there was a lot of confidence about this thing but I never understood why they were so confident about it, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, another employee who went by the name Sophie 
claimed that she was obviously just in it for the paycheck, with Quibi offering double the salary that she'd been making previously. Secure the bag. Quote, she didn't think the idea would work. Why pay for short TV episodes when you could watch YouTube for free? But that didn't matter. She'd find another job when it all went up in flames, and in the meantime, she'd get paid. Hell yeah, Sophie. Yeah. Whatever your name is. <laughs> yeah, whatever your real name is. I don't know if all employees felt the same way that these employees felt, but this gives you at least some indication that not everybody inside of Quibi was necessarily bought into the premise of the platform. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack, and, well, let's try to unpack more of it after this quick break. Okay, before the break, we learned about the startup of mobile-only video streaming giant Quibi. And we say giant because despite being a startup, it had giant funding, a big-time team, a grand vision. But sometimes giants fall. And that was the case with Quibi, where just six months after launching, it shut down. And now, as we look back, we can try to make sense of it all. So, Michael, where do you think Quibi went wrong? Well, I don't know. It's easy to look back and point fingers and say that we all could have seen it coming. Um, and that's what a lot of people do today with Quibi. But before we talk about what went wrong, maybe we should talk about what went right, right? And being fair, Quibi did have a lot of things right with this strategy. Like? Well, for one, yeah, they spent a ton on content. Of the nearly $2 billion that they raised, over $1 billion went to content. That's a lot of money. But they knew that in order for Quibi to work, they needed to have great quality content. We could talk more about content where things went wrong too. But I do think it's true that without great quality content, there isn't a success story here. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I'll also add that Quibi's recognition of people using their mobile devices to consume content, they were right on this one. I mean, it is true that consumption of video on mobile devices, it has exploded over the last few years, especially for younger generations. People are watching video in small bites when they're on the go, whether it's user-generated content on platforms like Snapchat or TikTok or polished content from Netflix and others. But there were plenty of bets that they made that simply didn't pan out. Yes, like the fact that people would be okay only watching content on a mobile device. I mean, I can't give you statistical evidence here, but I could tell you about my viewing habits if you want, Michael. Yeah, 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 go on. All right, well, look, I love to binge things just like anybody else, and there are certain shows I watch with my wife at home after the kids have passed out, and that's done in our living room or our bedroom on the big screen, but there are certain shows that my wife just isn't into. So, like Ozark, that would be one of them. So I ended up watching that on my own, and sometimes I'm watching it on my mobile device when I'm running on the treadmill, but other times I'm watching it on our big screen when I'm, say, folding laundry or something. It's true that with me, I'm not watching full episodes all in one sitting all of the time, but I don't need to. The content in 10 minutes or less thing, for me, it's sort of a solution to a problem that didn't really exist. I mean, I'll watch for a few minutes and then you know, pause and pick it back up just a little bit later on. Yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot of these newer kind of solutions to media problems where they're very individualistic and I find that watching TV at night, uh, we do the same thing, but uh, it's a social activity, right? That you can't do just alone on your phone. And when I'm out, I actually don't really watch things in public, but that's just me. I know other people do, but I really wouldn't stand in line for a coffee and watch a 10 minute show. It's a little bit too immersive and you miss everything that's kind of going on around you. So I don't know. I, I think they were a little bit off on the assumption that all content would be watched on the go, but you know, maybe they were seeing something that we weren't. So it's likely 
is a problem somewhere. And to their credit, they did actually recognize this a few months after launching, and they did start to develop TV apps, right, so that people could transfer the content onto the big screen. But it was a little bit too little too late. Yeah, for sure. You know, another problem actually had to do with the content itself. And I know we talked about how they invested heavily in great content and original content, and they did. But they never really found that landmark show, their lighthouse series, so to speak, the one that would attract people to the platform that would get them to convert. And, you know, without that, it's it's really hard to get off the ground. Right. And, and it's not to say that the content was bad. Uh, look, I enjoyed watching The Stranger. It was a good show. But they didn't really have their house of cards, so to speak. I mean, house of cards for Netflix, that was the landmark series initially. Quibi? didn't have its house of cards. No, no, it didn't. And it certainly contributed to subscribers signing up for the free trial, but I don't know. I guess the shows weren't good enough for them to really commit to, so they never became paid subscribers. And then, of course, there was the wild card of it all, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, this one you can't blame Quibi for. I mean, who knows? It's possible that if COVID-19 never happened, maybe there would be enough people who would be consuming content on the go as they planned where it have made up for some of their other missteps. Would it have been enough? I don't know, but I still think that going mobile only wouldn't have been the right call for this type of content, but it's possible it could have created a better environment for them to launch in, and they could have had a little bit more time to pivot. Yeah, and that's one thing we'll just never know, right? So what now? Where do things stand with Jeffrey Katzenberg, Meg Whitman, and the billions of dollars of content that Quibi created in a short time? Well, Katzenberg still leads the holding company that actually served as the precursor to Quibi. The holding company's name is Wonderco, and it basically just serves as an investment arm for Katzenberg to continue making big bets. His latest one, he made an investment in the digital security company Aura, a company that's valued at $2.5 billion. It's aimed at protecting your digital identity. I imagine that Katzenberg will continue to make big investments through Wonderco and And who knows, maybe one of these investments will get him just as excited as Quibi got him. And Meg Whitman? Well, the multi-billionaire sits on the board of several notable companies like Procter & Gamble and General Motors. But in December, Joe Biden made a really interesting announcement. Oh, yeah? Well, he nominated Whitman to be the U.S. ambassador to Kenya. Now, I think she's still waiting to be confirmed by the Senate, but... It's interesting because Whitman has traditionally been a Republican. She supported Mitt Romney during his past campaigns. She ran for governor in California as a Republican, but she did support Hillary Clinton as president in 2016 and then Biden in 2020. And she did donate over a half million dollars to Biden's campaign. Well, that is an interesting turn of events for sure. From the CEO of a well-funded startup to the ambassador of Kenya. It's uh, wild times. (laughs) Right. And of course, there's all that content that was produced specifically for Quibi. I mean, it'd be a shame to see it all go to waste, right? I mean, some of it was pretty good. Well, you're in luck because you can actually watch a lot of it today, early in 2021. Early in 2021, Roku negotiated to acquire the entire content library from Quibi for less than $100 million. They ended up paying like $0.10 cents on the dollar for the cost to produce it. And then they rebranded the library as Roku Original. So if you have a Roku-enabled TV or download the Roku app, you can watch all the series that were originally released on Quibi. You don't even need to pay anything either. You can enjoy it all without a subscription. But you just got to sit through some ads. Yes. And... Don't expect to be able to flip your phone and take advantage of the cool tech that Quibi had. It's just in landscape mode, like, you know, most videos, but 
I don't think you'll find that it takes away from the experience. Maybe I'll have to check out The Stranger. You said it was pretty good. I, I thought it was. <laughs> and, and hey, you could binge all 13 episodes in one sitting if you really want to. I mean, they're just 10 minutes each. Sort of like watching a full movie. Yeah, or you could do it one quibby at a time. Yes, you could do it that way if you wanted to. You know, just to give a nod to that short-lived video streaming platform that was over just about as soon as it started. <laughs> anyway, that wraps things up with this special bonus episode of Rocketship.fm, a nod to our past product failure season. We'll be starting a new season very soon and even have a mini-series on digital transformation coming up. So we'll probably have one or two bonus episodes before that, but uh, stay tuned. For Michael Saka, I'm Mike Belsito, and this is Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.